Hello, Bulls fans. Welcome to Bulls HQ, a Chicago Bulls podcast on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Thank you for joining us today on the show with the regular season upon us. We dive into some season-long predictions as well as taking a look at the Bulls' opening week matchups against the Pistons and Pelicans, the ins and outs of those games, how they should be run and won, and why this opening week will be very important in setting a foundation for a tough schedule ahead for the Bulls in November. And here to talk Bulls with me is one of my oldest pals in the biz, someone who's been on the show before a number of times, but uh, I think it's been a while since we last spoke, which is why I'm excited to have Will Gottlieb on the show joining me now. Will, how are you, mate? I'm great, Mark. It's so good to be back. Yeah, we were just saying, I think uh, maybe I came on once last year, so uh, here we are today, and hopefully we'll be back, um, assuming things go well. Well, yeah, you're on, um, what's the name? I, I was going to say, you, you're on... Uh, <laughs> I've been on I like a say... minute's restriction. I'm on load management the last year or so, <laughs> yeah. so I, I got to shake the rust here. DNP Mark's decision, I think, in, in, in the last 12 months, but uh, I'm sure that won't be the case going forward. I, I, I'd certainly apologize for, for not having you on sooner, mate, but I am glad you're back on. Um, and it's a good time to be back on because the uh, the balls are actually fun again. Probably last time we did speak, it was probably not as rosy as what I'm sure this conversation will be. So in that sense, it's good to have you back on. Obviously, the uh, the regular season is just uh, yeah, literally 24 hours away, effectively, so the real stuff starts to, uh, very soon. Preseason couldn't have gone any better. And, you know, whilst that was a, an exciting, fun four games, it nonetheless is just four preseason games. It's, the real stuff starts now. And I guess the good thing for the Bulls is they do have some winnable games coming up in their first five or so games. So maybe that running or that, that, that trend of running and winning games will continue into the regular season. We're all certainly hoping that's the case. But Obviously, time will tell. So what, what I thought we could start with today, Will, is maybe just getting into some season predictions, you know, very broad, high-level topics, things that we're all thinking about, uh, you know, at the start of the season. And then as we sort of come towards the close of the podcast, we can start talking about maybe Bulls, Pistons at least, maybe Bulls, Pelicans are the first couple games that the Bulls have in this new regular season. So uh, yeah, maybe we start with season predictions, mate, and get your high-level view, get mine as well, get some takes on the record and We'll see how damn close we get to it if we get close at all. But um, I guess I wanted to start on the offensive side of the ball because really, I mean, that's that's where most fans have a lot of interest in, right? And then obviously with a player like Zach Levine, when you have players like Vucevic, DeMar DeRose and Lonzo Ball, like that's where the ball's going to have a lot, or where, where we fans are going to have a lot of fun watching this Bulls team. And if, if preseason any, any indication of how things may trend on the offensive end. Uh, it should be hopefully a good year. We all have high expectations, but uh, what, what are you expecting from the uh, from the offense itself? Do, do you think it has the potential to be a top 10 offense going forward? Yeah, so I was, um, I mean, I, I'm definitely very optimistic about the Bulls offense just as a preface here, but I think when I first sort of um, absorbed and marinated in the news of Lonzo and Damar and Caruso and all these guys joining. Um, I thought they had a ton of potential offensively if everything sort of gelled the right way. I think that's a huge caveat. And uh, the Bulls have a pretty tough schedule here in November. And so I was a little concerned that things would kind of start slowly, that the Bulls would be like one of the early, yeah, see, I told you so. DeMar DeRozan wasn't worth $28 million a year and they gave up too many draft picks and blah, blah, blah from the national media. But after seeing the preseason performance, and I know, like, I think we should just at the top here state that all of this that we talk about is caveat of preseason, four-game sample size. It's only preseason, all of that. Um, but it, it was really, 
reassuring. Um, it surprised me how quickly things started to look good. The ball was really popping. Just the way that they were sharing and moving and swinging, all these things that I was really hoping to see, not necessarily relying on isolation scoring from Damar and Zach, um, but really moving it around. And I think they will only improve. So I'm very optimistic. I think there are a lot of really good offensive teams in the league, but I don't see why the Bulls couldn't make the top 10, um, especially given that I think they're already ahead of schedule, given what, given where I thought they would be, um, just having seen those four preseason games. Yeah, look, I, th- I certainly think that they have the potential to be top 10 offense. The only pause I have is the shooting element. Like that, It's not a huge concern, but it doesn't feel like they have you know, enough maybe, maybe they're one or two shooters short. And maybe that becomes a non-factor if Patrick Williams really starts getting up some volume. Maybe when Kobe Kobe comes back, maybe it looks different and feels different as well. But I think that's one one thing that I have a, a, of concern, let's say, particularly with, with the three-point uh, three rate around the league really sort of, <laughs> I'm expecting to just continue to, yeah, to continue to increase basically. And I guess the other thing, not concerned, but so much of why I thought the Bulls were so good offensively was the fact that they were able to get out in transition in preseason, and they're able to get in get out in transition because their defense was so good. Now, obviously, if that defense isn't as good in the regular season as it was in preseason, then does that hamper or limit their offense some? Like that—that's one open question that I have. So maybe where you know if those things don't come to the fruition of, to the level that I hope they would, maybe we're talking about like the seventh best offense compared to like the twelfth best offense. So I still think they're going to be good above average, but they're just the two factors that I have in the back of my mind that sort of may swing this from a you know top six, top seven type offense to maybe one that's just looking on the outside in of top ten. Yeah, I think uh, there's a lot of variability with Lonzo, especially. Uh, there was that game where he like went five for five in the first half or whatever it was in the preseason. Um, but he is a streaky three-point shooter. Um, I know last year he got it up to like 36% on six or seven attempts, which is awesome. But um, like, if you go back and look, he was, he was pretty bad shooting the ball in the first, you know, quarter of last season and people were really uh, starting to get worried about him and all of this stuff. So I think there's going to be some volatility there for sure. I, what I really loved during some of these preseason games is just like the way that they've used Zach just coming off of screens, getting simple uh, catch and shoot or off screen dribble handoff threes. And I mean, we know how electric he is just as a shooter. And when he is getting such easy shots, um, I think that will just really open up the floor for everybody else. So yes, um, you know, you have DeMar out there. Patrick Williams is, a low volume three point shooter. We don't know too much about how he'll be. Um, obviously Vooch, you know, we know is a good shooter, but I think last year was really his best year uh, shooting from beyond the arc. So there's definitely potential for the spacing to be an issue, but at the same time, I think what they really have to do and focus on offensively is get easy baskets out of movement. And I mm-hmm. think if they do that, the spacing isn't going to be, um, really a problem. I know there was that graph going around um, after the first couple games about like what, how teams three point uh, attempt rate was fluctuating based um, on how it was last year. And the bulls were down like 3%. Um, So I think they're going to be taking fewer threes. uh, And I think, yeah, there's a chance that there is not as much spacing and that, that kind of cramped the floor, but 
you know, you also have to consider just how little space guys like Damar and Vooch and Zach need in order to create mm-hmm. offense inside the arc. So um, yeah. I just think they have so much going on, whether it's movement, um, isolations, pick and roll, like they just can score in so many ways. Uh, and that keeps defenses on their heels. And uh, I think that just creates a lot of different avenues for them to score. Yeah, look, 100%. And, and I think that's why I'm, I'm very excited about this offense is the way I've been thinking about it, like phases of offense, like within the first, let's just call it first four seconds of an offensive possession, like the pools have the ability to score now in transition, which was not something they really had previously. I guess like the, that that's huge. Like if you want to be a good offensive team, like you have to have that in your bag or typically have to have that in your bag. Then obviously, you know, if you don't get something in transition, you know, what happens between seconds five and 20 on the, within the offensive uh, piece or let's say set piece let's say and and the and as you sort of a noted there like you've got Levine you've got Demar you've got Lonzo you've got Vucevic you've got you've got guys that can create in the half court as well but then in the event that you know you're facing a good defense and you're, you're forced to to get out of you know an isolation type possession deep in the clock you've got Levine you've got Demar two of the better uh, isolation scorers in the NBA so in that sense, like we should be confident that across all phases of a twenty-four second shot clock, like we, we should be confident that the Bulls should be able to generate some some good offensive looks. And like I said, if you can couple that with getting, you know, a free 10, 12, 15 points, whatever it may be in transition because of your decent defense, then obviously that'll help the offense as well. So I, I most certainly think uh, we're aligned on the in the fact that they they can be a top ten offense. I think most most of the fan base feels that way. Uh, hopefully that's true because if, if 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 that is true, that, that will go a long way to uh, you know vaulting them up up the stands in the Eastern Conference and maybe um, maybe giving some of these haters a little bit of a pause, let's say. But uh, I guess let's let's transition from there to the defense because I, I guess that is another critique that some of the haters do have about this Bulls team is like they look at the roster, they look at maybe. You know, certain players like Levine, DeRozan, Vucevic, etc. They look at that and they say, how the hell can this Bulls team win? How can they uh, be a decent team in the Eastern Conference given that their defense is going to be so bad? At least that's the narrative before preseason. As we saw in preseason, the Bulls were actually legitimately really, really damn good on defense to the point where they are. I think they were first in defensive rating during preseason. Or if they weren't first, they will definitely certainly top three. Now, again, preseason. <laughs> well, we'll see how it transpires over into the regular season. But... Uh, is there potential for this team to be top 15 in defense? And if not top 15, maybe even top 10. Should we go that far, Will? Well, uh, I guess I would like to see a little bit more before I make, and maybe I should yeah. you know, be <laughs> you know, steady across that with the offense too. But I would like to see a little bit more um, before I make any sweeping conclusions about the defense. I think one of the things that um, – the critics I think are overlooking is that these players aren't operating in a vacuum. It's like very much uh, going to be in the same way that it has to be on offense, right? Like they're going to need to play off of one another and not have this just like take turns, pick and roll or isolating. It's going to have to be like a group defensive effort. And I think when you look at some of the pieces that make up that group, right, you've got some guys that are a little bit frightening um, in terms of defensive reputation. So they are going to have to put something together that works. I think Vooch, you know, you always talk about this on your pod, is that Vooch is like the most important player of the Bulls this season. I think mm-hmm. uh, defensively, that is absolutely true. He's going to have to be the anchor. And, um, you know, I think Zach Lowe always says this on his podcast about how Jokic is underrated defensively because he yeah. keeps guys in front of him. 
He gets his hands mm-hmm. in the passing lane. He's not going to like block shots like Mitchell Robinson or Robert Williams, but um, he knows where to be. And look, the Bulls are going to give up like low efficiency, mid-range shots because they're they're going to play that drop coverage that everybody likes to talk about so much. Um, as long as there aren't any like massive just falling asleep moments from Zach and Namar, which there probably will be. Um, I think they'll be okay. My guess is that they end up probably somewhere around 15 to 20. My guess is maybe a little closer to 20, but um, I think if everything goes well offensively, that's probably enough to be, you know, a really good team. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's fair. And look for me, I, I had them sort of pegged between 13 and say 17. So, I mean, that neatly falls right at a 15 if we just want to average that out, let's say. So, and look, that I would be completely content with that outcome. Like if you're a top 10, top 11 type offense, and then you're 15th on defense or something like that, then, you know, you, you can play basically both sides of the ball. And teams that basically can play both sides of the ball typically end up being one of the better, you know, 12, 15 teams in the NBA. And if, if that's the case, then the Bulls will be firmly in that six, seven, eight range in the East. Obviously, we prefer them to be out of that playing position, but if you can be a, a top 10-ish type offense and then your defense is around league average, let's put it, then then that the, the scope for this team to be you know quite quite decent, quite good. So I, I think I have been really intrigued what I've been seeing from the switching defense, to be honest with you. And I was skeptical about how good they could be, but you know the fact that they've transitioned to this really smaller lineup, this one that wants to get after it the entire time. Basically, they're playing forty-eight minutes of just uh, you know fantastic, quick, fast defense. So if that maintains in the regular season and they can overcome some of their shortcomings from a defensive standpoint by having their guys constantly switching, and there's risks in that. Like if you are switching, your communication needs to be damn good. But at the same time, because you are switching so much, uh, so much, and particularly one through four, they're obviously not going to switch Vucevic. But if you, are, if you are switching so often one through four, then basically you're telling your guys that they need to be alert every single time. So in that sense... You know, I, I, I'm expecting Levine or DeRozan not to necessarily get cooked back door, for example, as often because they will be more alert to the fact that they may need to switch soon. So they have to be watching what's going on ball as well as what's going on with their man as well. So I like the premise of switching in that sense that for poorer defenders, you have to, if you are switching, you have to be engaged pretty much the whole defensive possession. Whereas if that's not the case, you're not switching, you're playing a more traditional type defense, then maybe you're more prone to relaxing and falling asleep off ball like we've seen in the past. And the, the reverse has been true for the Bulls so far, at least through preseason, where the guys on the back line, the guys sort of guarding the corner when you know, you've got the initial action between the point guard and the, and the center who's a Vucevic, like part of the problem for the Bulls last season was like the guys guarding the corner, whether it was a sink guy or, or the weak side guy, whatever it may be, like they were just getting caught often, just not coming over and helping or getting cut back door or whatever it may be. Whereas I haven't really seen that that often, at least in preseason. So maybe that's a part of the, the switch defense, the fact that they have to be on the whole time. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm just making that up and, and it's wishful thinking, but I think if they can get that side, of st- that side of their game down, like the help sort of rotational defense, then I, th- I really do think there is scope to be a, a top 15 defense. Especially when, I mean, they're like Lonzo and Caruso especially have just been so fun to watch at the point of attack. Yeah, um, yep. Like they are just so difficult to get around and to, um, like it's just hard to get anything going when they're in front of you because they're so long, mm-hmm. they move their feet and they keep you in front. And when you're, I think they were like top five in both steals and blocks in the preseason. So 
obviously you're like preventing um, field goal attempts, which is the best way to prevent offense, right? Like uh, you have a 0% chance of making a basket that you don't take on maybe like a 40% chance of, you know, every field goal, whatever it is, you're taking those field goal attempts away and those are turning into transition baskets and you're rebounding at a really high level and removing um, offensive rebounds and second chance points for the off for the opponent. And then, um, you know, you're not turning it over as much on offense because you, you have a much more cohesive and uh, I guess like the way to not tiptoe around it is to just say that like Zach Levine is not going to be isolating every time. Uh, mm. You're going to have a, a, a more efficient offense. You're going to remove transition and easy baskets that way. So I think the half court defense is like, you could say that there's disaster potential there, but I think they're going to be good enough at all these other things that take away easy baskets um, in other aspects of, of the game that I think that um, raises their floor a little bit more than people are thinking about. Yeah, for sure. I, I, again, just thinking about some pauses that I have in my mind, like, like similarly about the offense as I reference, there's a couple of things in the back of my mind where I'm just questioning the defense a little bit. Like preseason, I guess, is what we've, we've got to as a bit of an indication and, and transposing that onto how that may occur or, tr- or you know transfer into the regular season. One of the things we didn't really get to see is the Bulls play a team that had multiple decent wing options who could score off the bounce. And I wonder if we're going to see more teams putting Levine and DeMar in the pick and roll and you know attack that. And then you use those guys to then attack Vucevic on the block, something like that. Whereas you know mostly what we saw was... Caruso, Lonzo, those types of guys guarding that initial pick and roll, which made the drop coverage a lot more effective. Uh, most certainly compared to what we saw last season, but where where you play a team like the Celtics, for example, who maybe have multiple on-ball creators from a perimeter point of view, do you put Zach and Damar in the pick and roll, you know, like a, a two-three type pick and roll, and then somehow get that going into into the paint where you've been forcing Vucevic to come over and help? If he's not, you know, fast enough to react to that, then obviously the help rotations are fast enough to help him and those sorts of things. So, I wonder if you know when teams start game planning against the Bulls, whether we'll see some, uh, some, some action like that where they put both Demar and Levine into into a pick and roll. We've seen it a couple of times, and it didn't work out the best in preseason, but it was only literally a couple of possession uh, possessions. Uh, I wonder if that's something that the teams are going to start gaming against the Bulls, uh, you know, as we head into you know December, January, for example. Yeah, and I think Zach has been actually a lot better at navigating screens and staying engaged. Just like the decrease in workload for him offensively is, and obviously like as everybody's talked about, just like learning what it's like to be on a good team and a good defensive Mm -hmm. unit with Team USA. I think he's actually looked a lot better. Where he gets Mm -hmm. caught is when he is not engaged, when he's just like waiting Mm -hmm. for something to happen on the weak side. Damar is the same way but he's also really bad at staying in front of guys so <laughs> I, I could definitely see him getting picked on um yeah which brings up another question uh, of something you love to talk about which is these rotations and how billy is going to manage who is on the floor um and how you sort of stagger these different offensive initiators um and primary options and i think definitely there are going to be some really good defensive lineups with Caruso, Lonzo, um, Patrick Williams, and probably like Zach and Vooch is going to be a really strong defensive unit because there's no one you can really pick on at the point of attack. And I am confident that Vooch is going to be fine on the back line. Yeah. I don't think he's going to be great, yeah. but good enough. And I think, like I said, if you're good enough on defense and 
top 10 or near an offense, you're going to be a very good team. Yeah, and look at this proof. Like Vucevic has been the center of part of good defenses. So it's not like just some theoretical thing that we're just concocting in our minds because we're Bulls fans. Like there is there is some some actual proof that he is part of being a good or being part of a, a decent to good defense and particularly being the center within that. And obviously, there's limitations about it. Like you, you have to play some type of drop type coverage. You can't switch one through five, those sorts of things. We know all that. But so long as you know those limitations and try to scheme around it, or try to best protect him from that, then you know that's the best you can do. But I, I'm confident that Vuce won't be the uh, the limiting factor of the defense, and I think more generally the, the defense should be decent. So um, they've actually impressed me, to be honest with you, and, and I love the way that they're going about it. And I, I think that's why guys like Javante Green, Caruso, like they've been so important because their activity has has really infused that starting unit, and whether they're on the court or not. Like the the minute like Caruso comes in and comes in place for one of the you know, one of the starters and does what he does, then whenever the starters do come back in, like they have to sort of mimic what he has been doing. Otherwise, it's going to be quite telling that the defense kind of drops off. So like guys like Javante, Caruso, uh, you know, Alizé Johnson has done some fantastic stuff defensively. Obviously, this is what we want to see from Patrick Williams as well. Like that's that's what I want to see from him. Lonzo has obviously been doing it too. So there is scope for this to be a, a decent defense. So um I'm, I'm going to say they are a top 15 defense. I'm going to go out on the limb. Maybe I'll you're kind of, yeah, you're, you're talking me into it. I think also like, <laughs> um, they're just not going to have any lineups with Lowry at the four. And I think that helps yeah, a lot. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. you, you have Lowry and Kobe out there at the same time. There's just like, there's no hope for that. And, um, you know, Patrick is in his second year understanding the defensive schemes a little bit more. I think there was like a quote where he was saying like, I know this defense better than everybody yeah. on this team now, yeah. except for maybe Kobe and Zach, because I've been here the longest, which is insane because he's 19. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I think just sort of removing some of the weakest links. Uh, obviously, Kobe will be back, and um, there are some bad defenders on this team for sure. But I think they can piece together something that looks good enough. Um, and I certainly don't think they're going to be like a bottom three or five defense the way that some national media folks are talking about it no certainly not if they play with that intensity that they showed that they showed in uh in the preseason if they bring that level of of effort and activity then i think through you know sheer will and force that they should be you know good enough to be competitive on that end let's let's say we let's, got five uh javante greens running around as stacy likes to say <laughs> we're gonna be just fine i love javante uh, i'm so annoyed at myself that i didn't you know coming into this season i'm so annoyed that i didn't you know, think about him being more of a factor. I'm, I'm, I'm dirty at myself. I'll, I'll be annoyed about that for a while because he's just been a revelation to me in uh in preseason. But we'll see, obviously, how that transpires in the uh, or transfers into the into the regular season. But I've got a few more predictions. Maybe we can do some quick hitters here because these are more player focused, I suppose, and they do, I guess, lend themselves to how the team or you know how the team it, it itself will sort of perform or ultimately impact. The players and you know the the type of accolades they may, may receive, the the way we look back on these individual seasons, and obviously so much of what happens this season is going to be centered around Zach Levine and you know his upcoming contract, how good he can be, whether he's going to make an All Star team, all those sorts of things are going to factor into that conversation. But obviously his contract is going to be uh, you know a narrative that filters through uh, in and out throughout the season, but so much of that is going to be driven by. You know how good he is this season, particularly if the Bulls are good, and and his uh, I guess ability to push towards an All NBA team. 
I don't know how you feel about this one, but in terms of you know predictions, do you foresee Zach landing on an All NBA team? I think what's kind of sad about this award is that it will almost depend on how the Bulls do, um, yeah. rather than how well Zach plays. Um, obviously, there's like a little bit of both, but I think he is going to have uh, decrease in usage, decrease in shot attempts, and probably assists to a certain extent. So I think like his raw level of production is going to go down a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. But at the same time, his like the degree of difficulty on his shots, the quality uh, of looks that he's going to get is going to improve so much just by, you know, a factor of not having to do everything on his own. Uh, so I think that kind of neutralizes to the point where like he's going to be way more efficient. And honestly, he could still even put up similar numbers just on lower volume. Uh, which would be incredible. And I think if the Bulls are like a 45 to 50 win team, he's definitely in that conversation. Just the way that like in the preseason, again, preseason caveat, whatever, um, he's like started the games really slow and like not taking a ton of shots. And then all of a sudden he like takes five or eight shots in the second half and he's up to like 25 points. And it just doesn't even feel like he's like, you know, taking over the game or like hijacking the offense the way that, he used to in the way that like, you know, two or three years ago, I was really scared of him doing. So I am very optimistic that he has another really productive season from a box score standpoint. And if the Bulls are really good, I think he's in that conversation. Look, there are a lot of really, really special guards um, in the Eastern Conference and in the league in general. So any of these all-star awards or all-NBA teams are going to be like really tough to get in. But um yeah. I mean, he's got to be right there. He's close. I think he'll go close. And in my mind, he will just miss out. And the way I've got it fixated in my head at the moment, and obviously this is subject to obviously how players play and injuries and all that sort of stuff. But in my mind, like obviously Curry, Lillard, Lillard, they're locks. Luca Harden, I think, should be locks as well, which leaves two guard spots um, most likely on on the third team. And for me, I've probably got four guys at minimum that I think will be competing for that, well, with which Levine is one. Maybe you could extend it to five or six guys. But Levine will be one of those guys, Booker, Mitchell, and maybe Trey as well. Like They're, they're probably the four guys competing for that final two spots on the, that All-NBA third team. And I, and I look at it and I look at like Devin Booker and, and uh, Donovan Mitchell, for example, who I think would have made it had he not got hurt last season. They're probably going to be on better teams that will have more regular season success. Like I'm expecting the Jazz and the and the uh, the Suns to win 50 games. I think there's potential there for the Hawks to be better than the Bulls. So in that sense, maybe it's a, a decision between Trey and Levine. But then you've also got Mitchell and, and Booker to consider as well. But who knows what the the situation will be with Bradley Beal? I think he made it last season despite being on a crappy team, if I'm not mistaken. Um, who know who, who the hell knows with Kyrie? I mean, he has the ability to make a team. He was on the team last season, I believe, but maybe he's not even playing, so maybe we don't have to consider him. But I, I don't know. Like, I, I would say I'm, I'm going to lean and say no, he doesn't make it. But I think he's going to be on the outside looking in. Just, just. I think there's a lot of good players. I think it would not surprise me um, if he is left on the outside. But I also think that there's a chance, just given the way that like the positions shake out. Um, that like he could be forward eligible. And I think that opens up some doors too, just because of the way that the Bulls are going to play lineups. And um, with like, if he's on the floor a lot with Lonzo and Caruso or Kobe, he sort of looks more like a small forward and maybe that opens some doors. But I generally tend to agree that he's not quite there yet. 
and that will have implications for his next contract. Yeah, for sure, for sure, and that's that's the interesting part of it. But yeah, thinking beyond Levine, look, I'm expecting big things from Zach. He's, he's clearly established himself at this point, and I'm very confident what we saw last season wasn't a uh, an outlier type season. I, I'm, I'm assuming something of that nature is going to be fairly consistent moving forward. But beyond Zach, do you think the Bulls will have another all-star beyond Levine? I'm assuming Levine is an all-star as well, but do you think a Vooch or a DeMar has a chance at maybe sliding in as a uh, as an all-star in the Eastern Conference? Well, first, um, you know, you said you don't think Zach's going to, or Zach's last season was like a fluke. I mean, he's gotten better literally every single year he's been in the league. I don't necessarily yeah. think he's going to like go up to 35 points per game and 7-7, seven no, and seven, no, no, no. but like... Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I would not be surprised if he's around the same, if not maybe a little bit better, maybe a little bit worse, but like that's probably where he lands. Um, I think honestly, Lonzo is would wow. be next in line for me in terms of all stars. Um, I, I think Vooch, yeah, Vooch is probably, I mean, he's been an all star multiple times. Um, I think he probably is one of those guys that just gets a little overshadowed um, on a good team. And, just given the fact that he's like sort of a more older school center. So I, I think he's also probably one to me that has to sacrifice some production offensively to make everybody else function. Um, DeMar, I think is probably just like past that point in his career. And I think he could have some big scoring numbers, but I just don't see him get garnering the kind of like attention that is required um, to make one of those all-star teams, because you have to remember these are voted on by both fans and media. So I think Lonzo is somebody who is going to be um, like a co-star of this team in terms of being uh, a huge factor on defense. And I think that's going to get some attention, right? Is like the Bulls aren't as bad at on defense as we thought. And it's because Lonzo is out of this world. Um, but then also, I just think he's going to probably take on a little bit more of the the offensive initiation. I, I've loved what I've seen from him, just like bring up the bring up the ball and sort of setting things up. And then immediately Zach coming off of screens and getting into it um, on DHOs or just like coming off of pin down. So I, I think he becomes more involved in sort of what the offense looks like. Um, he may not have huge scoring numbers, but I think just he's a huge name. He's going to be a big part of the story of this team. Um, so I think he has a chance, maybe more so than Vooch or Damar, despite not having been an all-star before. That, I was not expecting that, to be honest that's with you. I'm going to say that's a hot take. I'm definitely going to say that's a hot take. take. <laughs> You're a Lonzo fanboy. I didn't expect that one. Wow. But, <laughs> but I blow your but mind. Look, I, you you, you kind of have to be honest with you. No, I wouldn't say crazy. I wouldn't say crazy. My, my answer to this is That's quick. the tone you like to hear. <laughs> <laughs> Look, if he can be, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'll sign me up. I, I'd love that to be the outcome. But my, my answer to this question is that there won't be a uh, I think another that, All Star. Yeah, that's that's the most likely. But I think uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Lonzo will be uh, the next closest in that conversation. I guess is the way I'll put it. Also, to me, it's Fooch. And I, initially, I, I was similarly thinking to you that I didn't. Th- I thought his volume might be might be in question, or you know, his production may be in question. But after watching preseason and you know, how involved he has been in the offense, given that he's the staple within the offense. And I, I want to say it's his offense more so than anyone else's, to be to be honest with you, because he's he's involved in literally every pick and roll action. And as that pop option, like 
yeah, he's going to get so many attempts to the point where he may just walk into 22 to 24 points a game just simply because he's getting 15 or 16 shots a game. Whereas Levine, Lonzo, DeRozan, these sorts of guys will have to share it more amongst themselves on the perimeter. So I don't, I'm not expecting Vooch to make it given Embiid's in the East, obviously. And I'm, you know, I'm expecting big things from Ban this season as well. But, you know, if one of those guys were to go down and, and be injured, like maybe an Embiid, for example, if he was to miss 20 games or something like that and Bam was to be the starting center in the East or something like that and you're looking for a, that one backup big who traditionally gets a spot on the uh, on the All-Star team, then I actually think it would be Vooch. And I think if anyone's going to miss out from a pure production point of view, it's probably going to be DeRozan. Um, but yeah, that, that long would take a... It, it's flawed me a bit. I hope you're right, man. I hope you're right. That, that would be sick. I think but, he uh, also just like has, I mean, he's 23, right? He's he's going to get better. Yeah, yeah. And so I think there's just like, you know, as we like to say, upside potential there. I, I, I've i been, as far as Vooch goes, I've been um, watching him carefully in these preseason games to see sort of how he fits into the offense because um, I think there is a world where like this does just become your turn, my turn isolations. And Mm -hmm. I agree that that has not been the case. I've been, uh, you're right. He's been like in every single pick and roll and it has been uh, just the three perimeter guys like feeding him. And he's been really good at passing out of the short roll, which is great to see his shot is there. Um, Well, it hasn't been there, but I think it will be there. He's like like really struggling to shoot during the preseason, Mm but um, I do think he's in for a big year. I just don't think he's like the sexy name that, necessarily garners all-star attention um yeah even though he has in the past that's fair yeah definitely can agree uh can definitely agree to that one that's for sure um but we'll look we'll see we'll see obviously if the Bulls get more than one all-star then things are going very very well for the team so hopefully that's the case but maybe connected to that topic um and look the, the questions that i've posed thus far in terms of you know big type predictions that we're sort of thinking about the bigger questions of about what this team can be They've all been largely positive thus far, and this next one, I don't know if it will be a positive one, or at least the way I framed the question certainly isn't, but do we end up regretting the DeMar DeRozan contract? Uh, yeah, you sent sent me over some questions to prep for uh, <laughs> this morning, and this was one that I was <laughs> thinking long and hard about. Um, yeah. yeah, it's really difficult for me because I don't think the points are going to be what they have been. His assists are going to come down because he's just not going to be handling the ball. And so, like, from a box score perspective, he's not going to put up those 20-plus odd points and seven assists the way that he did last year. It's just not going to happen. Um, I think already in preseason, just watching his, you know, the way he plays defense, the way he just falls asleep is already really frustrating. Um, And that's going to be something that I have to cope with over the next three years. Uh, so I think from that standpoint, there are going to be moments where he becomes really frustrating. Um, but I also think that there are sort of non-quantifiable, unquantifiable, um, factors that he brings to the offense that, um, make this team a lot better, uh, especially offensively, which are that he gives them another go-to offensive weapon in the half court. And especially like in late game situations, he's been fantastic throughout his career. But uh, that's also something that Zach has kind of struggled with in the past is like making poor decisions or turning the ball over. And just to have another option out there, whether or not he's the one that's putting the ball in the basket, I think makes this team a lot more potent. So um, 
yeah, I think there are just like ways that he produces value outside of necessarily like, yeah, putting the ball in the basket. One of those is also, I think he's just going to be like the primary guy on second units and just like absolutely eat, which is great because the Bulls depth is not that great. And if he can just go out there and score and play like the, you know, stereotypical DeMar DeRozan game that everybody likes to like shit on from back in the Toronto days, uh, that's going to be really important for the Bulls. So I think there are ways that he provides value. I also think he is like, I don't know, there was a video today that came out actually on Bleacher Report um, where he was being interviewed by Draymond Green. And he essentially said something along the line. I wish I had this quote, but it was like, you know, I came and basically that means that Zach is going to stay. I, that's absolutely paraphrased. So don't quote me on that. But um, I think he he makes the play, the Bulls more attractive to Zach and to mm-hmm. other free agents because he does have a lot of respect around the league because yeah. mm-hmm. like scorers have a lot of respect around the league. So um, yeah, yeah I, I think he'll be frustrating to watch at times um, and probably is not worth the dollars per se. And certainly giving up that pick is just heart-wrenching, but uh, I, I am still glad to have him. Yeah, for sure. And uh, I alluded this on the last podcast with Lara when we were talking about the defense and the last game against the Grizzlies, uh, <laughs> Damar had some interesting, let's call it, defensive possessions. And he's had some others as well against the Cavs where, you know, Larry cooked him off the bounce and had a huge dunk in that second Cavs game. So the, to your point, there's going to be frustrating moments. There'll be times where he takes some dumb mid-range shots where we're scratching our head and thinking, you know, why are you taking that shot when you have other offensive weapons around you? But I to exactly what you noted like there'll be games when Vooch hasn't got it going or Levine hasn't got it going and when you can kick to someone like DeMar on the weak side to go and do something or get him back on ball and, and let him create give Levine a, like a, a position or two off and in those moments that you know there may be fleeting moments there may be you know one game it may be on one may one game it may not be but in those moments when he does have it on like that's when we're going to be very thankful that we do have someone like DeMar on the team and I think so much of this is going to be tied to the Bulls record and and the outcome of the season like if they are a bad team if John Hollinger is correct which I don't think he will be but if for whatever reason they average not average but if they finish with 37 wins then a lot of the fan base maybe will be looking at the DeMar contract and thinking that was a mistake whereas if they win 46 47 games and get to the second round and maybe lose to the Bucks or Nets or something like that and play a competitive second round series, then there won't be any questions at all about the DeRozan contract. So I think so much of this will be be tied to how good the Bulls are. And maybe we can pivot from there into in terms of season long predictions about how good this team we think it will be. Like we've obviously touched on, you know, whether they're going to be a top 10, top 15 uh, offense and defense. But I mean, what are your expectations from a win point of view? Like what, what are you predicting from that standpoint? And obviously you've, the, the number of wins may have a, a corollary to what they do from a playoff point of view. So maybe I can connect those two questions, but from a win standpoint, from a playoff uh, positioning point of view, like what do you think the Bulls are capable of this season and what, and what are you uh, predicting? Yeah, I, I totally agree with what you said. I think um, how each of these individuals are viewed, whether or not this off season is, is looked back on as a success is going to be results driven and not process driven. Um, mm-hmm. which is what it is. But uh, as far as like the win total, um, I think that they're going to end around 45, 46. I would say that like the standard deviation is 
like a floor of 43 and probably maxing out at like 48, 49. So I feel pretty good about 45. And I think that sort of gets them right above the play in. Obviously, like the East, and like I, I went through and looked at some of the schedules. Like the East is really good. The Bulls' schedule is really tough. And generally, there are a lot more teams trying. There aren't very many like gimme wins. But um, I mean, if you can like just absolutely obliterate some of these mid to low end teams on a nightly basis, the way that they disposed of the Cavs twice and the Pelicans, um, you know, and and had a fairly convincing win. I guess they kind of like stole it in the fourth quarter with the subs. But uh, if they can if they can do that and just beat up on bad teams, they're gonna have a high floor, and that's kind of what you need to be a good team. So. Uh, I feel good about them being in like the mid forties area and sort of avoiding that play in game maybe closely, but I think they get out of it. Yeah, I, I feel similarly. I've, I've got them winning 44, 45 games, something like that. And I, I guess the only reason why maybe they win less or maybe instead of being like a, a five or six seed and maybe they're closer to seven or eight or maybe even a ninth seed, for example, is the fact that this is a completely new team. Whereas the Hawks, the Celtics, the Knicks, those sorts of teams that maybe the Bulls will be in direct competition with, like for the most part, they're, they're similar teams that are coming back from last season. Whereas obviously this team is completely new. Now, they, they didn't look like a completely new team when the preseason started. Like They, they just looked like a team that had been playing for so long, the, the way they came out and de- uh, demolished the Cavs in that first preseason game. But um, you know, I, I would expect there to be some sort of growing growing pains, particularly when they come up against some challenges. Now, they didn't really face some challenges in preseason, but that November schedule is pretty tough. It's pretty brutal, and we'll, we'll get to that you know in future episodes. But it, it'll be the, it'll be that month, I guess, which will be you know quite testing for the Bulls, I suppose, and, and how they sort of get through that phase of the season ultimately dictate probably how many games they win. Like if they can get through this stretch of 15, 20 games with a good record or a decent record, then that will really set the, set the foundation for their for the rest of the season. Whereas, you know, if they come out of the first 20 odd games sitting at seven and 13 or eight and 12 or something like that, then it will be harder to catch a team than like the Hawks or the Celtics or whoever it may be. So that's, that's the thing I'm going back and forth on with myself in my own mind. But I think at the end of the, at the end of the season, when hopefully they're tuned up and, you know they're at their best selves. Then I will. I, I do think they will be comparable to a team like the Celtics and Hawks, or potentially even the Sixers and Heat, depending on their depth issues, the Simmons thing, all that sort of stuff. I really do feel like three through nine in the East is wide open, de- depending on so many different variables. But um, yeah, I, I'm going to predict. I'll, I'll say 44 wins. I'm going to say they're going to be like in. I'm going to say they're going to be a seven seed. And just outside of the top six, I'm going conservative with it. I'm obviously, I believe they have scope to be much more than that. I think that peak scope is like being a top three or top four seed in the East. I think they have that ability to be a home court team, depending on what happens around them. But uh, I'm just going to, I'm just going to play conservatively and say this first month is going to be tough. It may result in a few losses, a few lot more losses than what we'd hope, which will ultimately impact the win loss record. But by the time we get to April next year, They'll uh, they'll be ready to go and they'll they'll be in the plane, but they'll they'll come out of it and they'll do some things in the playoffs. That, that's my uh, bold take, which is not very bold at all. <laughs> yeah, so I think you uh, one win fewer than I said, um, but I think also like the reason I feel optimistic, cautiously optimistic, 
is that they have looked so good already. I was really kind of worried, mm-hmm. as I said at the top, that like things would yeah. take a little while to to get together. Mm-hmm. And I, I think this puts them in a good position. The other thing is that like Lonzo, Demar, Zach for sure, Booch, like these guys haven't won at a high level. They have a lot yeah. to prove. They all have a chip. And I think there are some teams in the East that like have been there who are going to kind of cruise um, and maybe cruise to a higher level of basketball than the Bulls will for sure. But um, I think they're going to they're gonna come out and play every night. Every game matters, especially with there being so many teams competing for spots in the East. So I'm hopeful that um, that translates into, you know, wins. Yeah, look, I definitely think this is going to work just due to the personnel. And, and like, obviously what work means is subjective. Like, m- maybe their best case scenario is 45 wins and, and it working and, and that being the best case, like, it, it technically it works. But, uh, I mean, I, I'm confident whatever the best case scenario is that they're going to hit it because you, you just got no douchebags in this locker room. There's no wankers at all. Like, Damar, Levine, Lonzo, Vucevic, they're all good dudes. There's no egos there. And to the point you just noted there, like, these guys haven't necessarily tasted or had much success as individuals to the point where that, you, you know, I, I guess that will sort of tie them together in a sense that, they will want to come together as a collective to sort of start rewriting their own narratives as as individuals. So I think there is some some impetus there as as individuals to come together as a collective and, and get this thing sorted. So I'm not concerned at all about, you know, locker room tensions, this guy's getting in more shots than me and it creating a hierarchy issue or anything like that. I just don't get that vibe from this team. They all are extremely likable, all extremely good dudes. So in that sense, whatever the best outcome is, I, I do think they're going to achieve it because yeah, there's no wankers amongst this squad, uh, squad which makes them uh, very easy to root for. So um, Basically, I'm, I'm... what you're saying is that Denzel Valentine is gone and now they can <laughs> reach their full form. Look, uh, I, I wasn't thinking that, but um, I'm, I'm happy to think about that now. Shout out to C. Redford if you're listening out there. And uh, it, Is Denzel even going to make the Cavs team? I don't know, but I was thinking about like how many guys on the previous couple years of Bulls teams are just like without jobs now. Um, I don't know like what happened with Archie's contract situation with the Celtics, but um, yeah, I last I saw, I don't think he's playing. Chris nah. Dunn just got cut. Uh, Chandler Hutchison is like doing two-way. two-way contracts. Jabari's. So it's like, yeah, there's they, they trimmed the fat and they yeah. actually have NBA players up and down the roster. And it is just nice to see the Bulls being a real team. Yeah, shout out to Wendell Carter, though. Four-year, $50 million deal. My guy's getting paid, so that's all that really matters. But uh, look, we've, we've got some predictions locked in, Will. We'll, uh, we'll revisit this in maybe six or so months' time to see how right we are about it. Um, if if Lonzo is an all-star, you heard it here, folks. So uh, if Lonzo is a an all-star, it was Will Godley that said it first. It was either him or some Lonzo stands that have followed him over from New Orleans and Los Angeles. So it's one or the other. But maybe we can start talking about the real stuff because it starts very, very soon. The Bulls first game is on Wednesday evening US time at Detroit. Then on Friday night, the Bulls have their their home opener against the Pelicans before welcoming the Pistons back to, to Chicago on Saturday night. They're the first three games thereafter. The Bulls are in Toronto and then they play the Knicks. So that's the first five games for the Bulls. To me, at least, there's five winnable games there, but we'll start with the first one because ultimately that's the one that matters most. How do you foresee this this first matchup against the Pistons transpiring? Obviously, this is a good opportunity for, for the Bulls to just set a really solid foundation to the season with a, a good thunderous opening win against an inexperienced team, a bad a team that's probably going to be bad and 
has a lot of young players on it. What are you expecting from game one from this team? Uh, first three games, even Detroit Pelicans and then yeah. Detroit again. Um, mm-hmm. I think they have a real shot at starting three and zero. I think they should, given mm-hmm. the given how the rest of the October and November schedule shakes out. They kind of need mm-hmm. to, and yeah. I think they will. I mean, these are just teams that can't really compete talent wise, and if the Bulls are motivated and executing and gelling at a high level, then I think they can take care of them. Um, we certainly you know, after watching those preseason games, have some reason to believe that they will, like I said before, kind of dispose of these mid to low end teams that, uh, frankly, the Bulls are just much better than. Yeah, 100%. And I think what helps as well is that uh, the Pistons are kind of banged up as well. Like, I'm not expecting Cade to play, so we probably won't yeah, see Cade Yeah, Cade seems like out. he's out. Zion's out. Yeah. Yeah, Zion's definitely after the Pelicans on, on Friday night, but like Sadiq Bay is maybe, maybe not. Killian Hayes, like he had injuries in, in preseason as well, will probably play, but like there'll, there'll be guys that'll be missing from, from both squads. So the point you mentioned there about the Bulls should be going 3-0, and like that should be a thing that happens because Zion's definitely not playing for the Pelicans, that that makes things a lot easier. Like if you want to implement a switching defense, that's so much more harder. If you're having to, to guard Zion, for example, like you can't really switch or you can't switch Alonzo onto a Zion, for example. Or you, I mean, you can, but it probably won't end well. Uh, and similarly for the Pistons, like where, where, whereby you know they may be starting Killian, Sadiq Bay, and Kate Cunningham, where you've got six foot five, six foot six, six foot seven type guys, one through three, and, and and you know switching through that whilst it's an inexperienced team, like they're they're big dudes. But if you don't have Kate out there, and if maybe Sadiq Bay is missing, for example, then that changes that 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 matchup as well. So the Bulls have to go three and zero here. Like this, I, I would be disappointed with anything less. I don't think that's me being a C red homer and saying that. Like this, these are the games that you have to absolutely annihilate these teams. And and you mentioned that before when we're talking about win predictions. Like if you want to be a 45, 40 40 whatever win team, maybe even something more than that. These are the types of teams when they're missing their best player, you have to absolutely demolish. So I'm hoping that is the case because, yeah, as you noted, things get tougher in November. So set the season up correctly, continue what you've been doing in preseason and and use that switching type defense to fuel your offense and get after these bad teams. And we, we saw the Pelicans in in preseason anyway, and I, and I would expect Vucevic to have a big game against uh, Valanciunas, in particular that drop type defense. And against the Pistons without Cade, uh, without much ball handling on that team, then I would expect the Bulls to expose them there too. So um, I'm hopeful that what we saw in preseason will carry over. And if there's any chance for that to to really carry over, it's going going up against teams like this straight away where you can get, get that confidence from preseason transferring into the regular season. Like that, that, that is ideal for the Bulls. They got to take notes from the WNBA champion Chicago Sky and uh, <laughs> start rallying off some of these wins while they can because, like you said, it gets it gets hard out there in November. It does, it does. But uh, yeah, I'm confident we're going to go three and zero. I think. I mean, they should beat the Raptors. They should beat the Raptors, and then you've the Knicks thereafter. That'll be a fun one with uh, all the Bulls connections there. But the Tibbs yeah, ball. I, I'm going to say they go. Yeah, the Tibbs ball. I'm, I'm going to say they go three and zero. I'm going out on a limb and, and, and saying they're beating both of these both of these teams over the first three games: Pistons and the Pelicans. Uh, but I'm just glad Bulls basketball is back. To be honest with you, and and nonetheless. You know, whatever happens, so long as they play the way they did in preseason, like if, if that results in 40 wins, 45, 50 wins, whatever the number is, like if, so long as they play hard and, and actually give a shit, like 
that's all I really care about, to be honest with you. After seeing so much bad basketball over the previous four seasons, and to be fair, like there wasn't like a lot of guys that I actually cared for or rooted for on this team previously. Like there was a couple guys here and there, but I, I, I was I was on an indifferent on so many of these guys. Whereas I look at this roster right now and. I'm already fanboying over so many of the role guys on the bench, let alone let alone the starting unit. And and we talked about it before, like there's so many guys on this team that are very likable and who you want to root for. There's no Muppets on this team. So from that sense, I'm really excited about what this team can be. Um, I think they're going to be really fun to root for. And um, I think it's just going to be a, a pleasant, enjoyable experience, which certainly hasn't been the case over the last four to five seasons. Another uh, not so veiled shot at Denzel Valentine, but... No, I'm kidding. Uh, I, I agree. Like they, they just have guys that, that are going to be fun to watch that are going to try hard and actually produce. Um, they're a real team now. And regardless of what number of wins they end up with, I, I totally agree that like the, the process here has been really exciting. And I think this team has uh, potential to grow together over the course of the season and hopefully compete at a, at a high level. And yeah, I mean, I can't even remember what that feels like. So that'll be exciting. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I think that's probably the most exciting part, just uh, trying to recapture or reimagine what that feeling does feel like. But uh, hopefully we uh, we experience it very soon, but that will come on Wednesday night. Well, hopefully that's the start of it. But uh, look, we'll, we'll call it a podcast here for, for now, mate. Well, I've kept you long enough, but b- before you get away, please tell the people where they can follow you online. Yeah, um, it's been great, Mark. I, I love coming on, but yeah, follow me on Twitter at Won't Gottlieb. I'll be tweeting out my thoughts and videos as as the games go on. So if you want to take a look, that's where you can find me. Yes, certainly. Uh, I certainly hope you've got the uh, the videos, the tweets sort of coming this season because you're, you're most certainly one of the better followers on Bulls Twitter. So I hope that is definitely the case. But uh, Bulls fans, if you're not following Will, go and do that in the odd chance that you're not following me and you want to uh, at MK Hoops, at Bulls HQ Pod as well on Twitter. Uh, if you want to send me an email, suggestions, ideas for the podcast, questions, whatever it may be, bullshqpod at gmail.com. If you want to be part of the Bulls HQ Discord, drop me a DM on Twitter. I will send you an invite link. Uh, alternatively, there will also be an invite link in the episode description of this podcast. Uh, but Will, thanks again for coming on, mate. Appreciate it. Thank you. Um, yeah, let's uh, watch some exciting ball this week. Most certainly, hopefully it's uh, hopefully it's uh, exciting brand of basketball. Hopefully there's a, a, a number of wins coming our way from a Chicago perspective. But as those wins do come, Bulls fans, obviously we'll be back on Bulls HQ wrapping up the uh, the games that transpire now. The real stuff starts, the real excitement starts now, and uh, we're all excited to see how our balls will go. But uh, I'm sure it will be a fun season, no less. But I uh, appreciate everyone from tuning in. We'll call it a day. We'll be back hopefully later in the week, but if not later this week, then most certainly uh, early next week. But uh, appreciate you tuning in. Speak soon, Bulls fans. Rose Davis, historian and co-host of the sports podcast, Burn It All Down. And now I'm hosting the new season of American Prodigy, all about Black girls in gymnastics. For the last 40 years, Black gymnasts have moved from the margins to the core of the sport and changed gymnastics along the way. 
Now, they tell their stories. You'll meet trailblazers like Diane Durham, superstars like Jordan Childs, and everyone in between. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.